Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 140, and I'm talking with Ben Rosario. Ben is the coach and president for the Northern Arizona Elite Group. You have heard me talk to a couple of his athletes on this show. I got to talk with Kellen Taylor right after she won the Grandma's Marathon in an incredible time of 224, a huge PR for her. That was episode 125. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check it out. And I also had the opportunity to talk with Stephanie Bruce, and that was episode 130. In this episode of the podcast, we get to talk to Ben about how he started that group, his vision and his passion behind it, and what it looks like today. Ben has done just about everything in the running industry. He has a marathon PR of 218. And he also has a mile PR of 403. When Ben was running competitively, he ran for the Hanson's Brooks Distance Project there for a while. And then guys, he also went on to be a special events director for a big marathon. He owned a running store for a while. He was a marketing director. He was an elite coordinator. He has done it all. So when he started the Northern Arizona Elite Group, he had a lot of business experience in the running world. It was really interesting to learn about his philosophy and his drive and how he got this program off the ground. I also got to ask him some fun questions about coaching people like Kellen Taylor and Steph Bruce. I can't wait to have more of his athletes on the show as well. So we are definitely going to make that happen. Before we get started talking with Ben, I want to thank a sponsor for this podcast episode, and that is PrepDish. PrepDish is a longtime sponsor of this show. You guys know I'm a big fan. You've heard from Allison on the podcast back in episode 118, if you haven't listened to that yet. So what PrepDish is, it's a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. When you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. After only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have meals ready for the entire week. You'll save time and have amazingly delicious meals like smoky paprika chicken legs and a trio of roasted vegetables or zucchini lasagna. The founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. And if you are looking to save time during the week, this is a service that will help you out. So you guys go to prepdish.com slash another for two weeks free. Go to prepdish.com slash another and try it out. Hey, one more thing I want to tell you about real quick before the conversation with Ben. A project that my husband Glenn and I have been working on for the entire summer, something we wanted to do for four years. We bought our home four years ago. We have this awesome space above our back garage. It had electric put in and like frames up on the wall. So we... We didn't take on the project. We hired people to take on the project to get plumbing pumped back to it, to get the drywall done, to get the bathroom put in, a kitchen put in. We have this beautiful, amazing apartment back there now. So if you are traveling to Indianapolis for any reason at all and are looking for a place to stay, we would love to welcome you to our carriage house. We have an Airbnb site up now and it'll be linked in the show notes. And yes, Indianapolis Monumental Marathon Weekend has already booked. But if you're coming for any other race at all so far, Indy Women's Half Marathon, which is coming up September 28th, that has not booked yet. So if you know anybody looking to book a stay for that weekend, we are so far available still. Head over to the show notes at lindsayhine.com for more information there. All right, you guys, enjoy this conversation with Ben. 
today on the show, I'm super excited to introduce Ben Rosario. Welcome to the show, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me, Lindsay. So you're in the Midwest. You're in my region of the country right now, St. Louis. I'm, I'm an Indianapolis girl. So what are you doing in our territory? Well, this is where my family lives. And um, we had not been back in a while. And my seven-year-old daughter loves seeing her three cousins that live here. And so um, school starts this coming week. And this was our last chance to get out here and see them. So it was kind of a shotgun trip. We got in on... Uh, Let's see. We got in on Wednesday night and we're leaving Sunday, but she's had a bunch of time with them. So it's been great. Is she, So she's seven. Is she going into first grade or second grade? Second grade. Okay. My oldest is six. He's going into kindergarten. So he's a little bit on the older end. Ah, kindergarten is fun times. You're going to love it. You know, I know. And I think people get really like nostalgic and a little bit sad when they do the kindergarten thing. But he's been in pre-K for two years, like full day already. So I'm kind of like, I feel like you've been in kindergarten for a really long time already. Oh, yeah. He'll be ready to roll. That's what my daughter was like because she had a really great daycare um, situation. And so she was very prepared, which I think was cool. Well, I have had the opportunity to interview two of your athletes, Kellen Taylor and Steph Bruce, and they spoke so highly of you, and I wanted to um, get on the phone with you and, and get an episode out with you, so I'm really excited to have you on. Well, thank you. I listened to both of those podcasts. Uh, you were great. They were great. I really appreciated uh, you you talking to them, and I know that you're very close to having another baby, so I appreciate you <laughs> Uh, taking the time to talk with me when I think you're, what, a week away? We are six days from my due date. Wow. I feel very, uh, very honored. Well, <laughs> and so when we decided to do it today or, you know, we finally organized this last night, I was thinking we better do this because if we push it to next week, I just don't know. Like I, you just don't know. That's right. There and then go. we'd be recording in October. So this is good. Well, I loved what Kellen said. So, so you're the coach for Northern Arizona Elite, and you're the founder of that the whole program. So, and I love what Kellen said about you. She said uh, she really felt confident in your intentions behind starting the group, and just all that you put into the investment of the group and what you wanted to do with it. So, can you give everybody a little bit of a rundown of what Northern Arizona Elite is and what you guys are doing over there? What your dream and your vision was. Sure. So I, I guess I have to go back a little ways. So, you know, my background is uh, in all sorts of things, I guess. But but uh, business wise, in 2006, I started a running store in St. Louis, where I am now, uh, which was my hometown uh, with a buddy of mine, Matt Helbig, Big River Running Company. And so we ran that business uh, together for six years. And we really uh, we really worked hard and we really did quite well. We, by the time, uh, 2012 or I guess 2010 rolled around, we already had three locations. And then, uh, in 2012, I decided to sell my half of that business to Matt, um, because I was just a little bit burnt out, a lot burnt out, I guess. And, uh, so my wife and I and our daughter moved to Flagstaff mostly just cause we thought it'd be a cool place to live. And I, uh, I did some marketing out there for an online coaching company, McMillan Running Company, for a year. And um, toward the end of that year, I had started coaching um, a couple of athletes in town, and we were having some success. And then uh, the McMillan Elite team uh, dissolved at the end of 2013. Uh, and some of those athletes, like Kellen uh, and Scott Smith and 
a couple of others uh, wanted that group environment again. And so um, we just, my wife and I decided at that point that we were having a lot more fun doing that, uh, coaching the athletes than, than anything else. And so we just kind of put um, all of our time and energy into the team. We launched Northern Arizona Elite in 2014. The vision was to be a true professional group uh, with very high-level athletes, high-level performances, but also trying to um, create a situation where we could provide a, a real ROI for potential sponsors. And so from the beginning, producing quality content, um, sharing the journey with, with our fans, being very, very consistent on social media and interactive on social media was uh, the plan and the vision. And then, uh, of course, during that entire first year, we were creating pitch decks and pitching sponsors. We brought Josh Cox on board to uh, broker a deal with a, a company. And we we got very close in at the end of 14 with a couple of different companies, which gave us some leverage. And then early in 2015, um, after uh, about a month-long negotiation, we signed a deal with Hoka Oneone, and they've been our title sponsor ever since. And so uh, the vision has never changed. We continue to try to perform at a high level, uh, train hard, race fearlessly, and share every part of the journey. Yeah, and Kellen totally schooled me on Hoka Oneone. I heard that, yes. Well, they've they bounced back and forth, but it, it's definitely Hoka Oneone. That's the origins. There was a time when they... Um, sort of were allowing Hoka 1-1 to be uh, the Americanized version, but they wanted to go back to their roots. There's, um, there was a regime change in the marketing department a couple of years ago, and I think for the better, they, uh, they decided to go back to Hoka Oneone, and they've, they've stuck to that ever since, and I think uh, we'll continue to. Yeah, I mean, because I've, I've even been around the run specialty store scene, and I think the employees even called it Hoka 1-1. Yeah, there was a time, but uh, so so we're trying to educate everyone. So maybe this podcast will help. Yes. It's definitely it's definitely Hoka One One. We're getting the word out, and I I actually have had several people reach out to me after that episode and be like, "Oh my gosh, I had no clue." <laughs> well, my little entrepreneur heart is just so excited for what you've created because. I can just, as you explain it, I can just picture the blood, sweat, and tears that went into creating the pitch decks and the passion behind it and the vision, like knowing you had something, but you got to, I mean, you got to make it work and you got to find a sponsor. So was there ever a time where you were like, well, shoot, is this going to happen? Yeah, for sure. Toward the end of 14, uh, you know, cause, cause again, we were funding it ourselves out of our own pocket. Now, we had gotten a nice chunk of change when we sold, um, you know, our half of the business. So that was nice. So we had some money to play with, but it's, you know, certainly wasn't limitless. And I think we had spent about 40,000 that first year in 2014. And, um, you know, that we weren't willing to go too much deeper. And so at the end of 14, beginning of 15, that's when we started saying, okay, because we had kind of, you know, sort of made a pact with the athletes. And this is, you know, Steph Bruce, Ben Bruce, Kellen Taylor, uh, you know, a lot of good athletes, Matt Yano, Amy Van Alstine, uh, they're, they're no longer with us, but, but they were running very well. Um, so, so there was really good athletes on the team and we had kind of made a pact with them that we were going to be more valuable together and that they would, you know, they had to trust us obviously, but we felt strongly that they would make more money, uh, if we could get a title sponsor for the entire group and that we would all be more valuable that way because of the, uh, ability to co-brand with one another. Um, 
if we went with one title sponsor. But uh, and, and they were on board with that, and I'm really appreciative to this day, of course, that they that they were. But toward the end of '14, we kind of, I, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, we can't keep spending this money, and we can't keep you guys from getting an individual deal if if you're able to get one. I mean, you know, that's kind of where I was starting to uh, to go, and and we 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 poked around a little bit uh, for a couple of those athletes that were running really well, and and Josh was talking to some companies about a couple of the athletes individually. But like I said, I mean, as things sometimes go, it just worked out there that right as we were having those thoughts, um, we got a couple of people to bite, you know, a couple of companies. And so um, things started rolling in the right direction again. And then Kellen ran 228 debut marathon in Houston in January of 15. And that really helped because the marathon is such a sexy event. And, you know, the um, the trials at that point were only a year away. So you've got this woman on the team who just ran the sixth fastest debut in U.S. history. And all of a sudden it seems like, okay, these guys are really going to produce uh, at, at the highest level. They're going to have a shot to make the Olympic team. And of course, everybody wants to put somebody on the Olympic team. So I think all those things kind of helped. And then obviously, you know, I'd like to believe we were doing a really good job uh, in terms of our branding. And so, uh, you know, it just, it just all came together. Well, yeah, and it sounds like your athletes, I mean, they really had to just kind of trust you and have faith in you as well that this, this, what you thought with the group thing was going to be way more valuable was going to work. Yeah, they did. And I mean, I, you know, I did have a lot of business experience and so I wasn't just, uh, some random uh, guy. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't just pull it out of nowhere. And, and honestly, like a lot of what we do at Northern Arizona elite, what we were doing at the time and what we still do was just, um, a slightly tweaked version of exactly how we had succeeded in St. Louis with the running stores. You know, we were, we were creating a brand. We were uh, a very personal brand that people felt a part of and people want to feel a part of things, you know? So um, the way we kind of speak like our voice and the way we write our content, the way we write our e-newsletter, all these things were um, sort of taken from what I had done at big river. So I knew they worked. I knew they had worked in a big way, you know, in St. Louis. And I I felt strongly that that same kind of, um, that same sort of voice, that same content would would play nationally. It just takes time, you know, it just takes time. And, and obviously you have to have the performances because it doesn't matter if you craft the best uh, tweets ever. If you're not, (laughs) if you're not on the podium, you don't have the platform, you know, Uh, Meb Kaflesky, Kara Goucher, they're, they're great and they're wonderful and people love them. But, but as nice, as nice as uh, as nice as they are, uh, no one would care if they weren't <laughs> Olympic medalists, you know, world championship medalists, uh, New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, all these things. Um, that's what gives them the platform. And so we had to have that as well. So the, the fact that uh, we had um, the athletes running so well, that was I mean, it was it was essential. And so we had uh, we had that and the content. And that's, I think, ultimately what got us the deal. So you mentioned when you guys got started, it was like very much a business with your wife was very invested. What is what is her uh, part of the business now? Well, she, you know, uh, her her big sacrifice is that she she doesn't um, have another full time job. You know, she she does a little bit of freelance work. She does some websites and some graphic design for a few people here and there. Uh, but mostly she spends her time. Uh, doing a lot of the logistics for the team. So organizing a lot of the travel, uh, putting together all the shoe orders. She's sort of our, uh, and apparel orders, she's sort of our um, 
uh, go-between with Hoka for all that sort of stuff. And then she also runs our website shop, run, does all our books. Uh, so she she's basically our accountant. Um, Sounds kind of full-time. It's, pre- it's pretty full-time. I mean, it's really ridiculous, to be honest with you, because it, it's always been this way. She's always uh, – I've always been the – the face of the business, whether it was the stores or the team. And then really she does so much of the work. Um, but the way we see it is she gets a small stipend um, from, from NAZ elite. And then of course I have a, a nice salary, but, but we kind of, um, we kind of see it as that, that total number is sort of our number, you know, it's, I don't see it as my number, you know? Um, so, so between us, you know, it's, it's okay. But, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, she doesn't get enough credit that the people on the team know how, how hard she works and how much she does. Uh, but she doesn't, you know, crave it either. It's not like it bothers her or anything, but she's just a behind the scenes type of person and she gets it done. And we really could not do it without her. There's just no way. Well, and I like how you talk about the accessibility and the, the social media stuff. Who's doing all that? Like, who? I mean, you were very, um, it was simple for me to contact you and, and set up this interview. And I very much appreciated that, but like who's doing your social media and the branding and, you know, crafting those tweets and what you're talking about. Well, you're, you're asking me a secret question, but I'll, I'll Uh-oh. tell you. Um, I, people <laughs> no, might I, listen I, to this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I craft most of those. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I mean, that's my, you know, that, that's what I'm good at. I'm bad at a lot of things, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at understanding what people want, you know, and, and, um, and how to create a voice for a brand. And so, um, those tweets and those Instagram posts, uh, typically are written by me. Um, Jen will, if you see anything that's graphic oriented, that's probably her, uh, the videos that you see from our workouts, that's probably her. So it's a combination, uh, but usually anything, Thing, writing with the e-newsletters I'm writing those um, and I try to uh, I sort of have two different voices so the, I have a voice that's you know the NAZ elite voice that I kind of I think stay consistent with uh, and then I have my own voice as you know which Ben you know that, that and my tweets are a, a little different and so but I, I'm glad that you asked the question because and and I've heard that before like they think Jen does it or they think you know, we hire somebody to do it or something like that, which I think is good because that means it does have its own voice. They don't think it's me, you know, and it's not supposed to be me. It's, it's the, it's the brand that's mm-hmm. who's talking when you see things come from NAC elite. So, uh, it's a combination of her and I, but, but I, I'm the writing guy and then she's the graphics and the, uh, video content person. So is there anybody else on staff or is it just you two running the show? Uh, we run the show, uh, but I have to say this summer we've had a lot of help. We had two interns this summer, um, Veronica Rockhurst from Amherst College and then Kyle Levermore from the University of Arkansas. And Kyle in particular was very interested in brand management. Uh, he's had internships at Tracktown USA and at USATF. He's really, really uh, smart and, and motivated. And so he has, even though I'm very controlling, I have allowed him <laughs> to, to do some uh, – some of the content this summer and he's done a really nice job actually just yesterday he released a cool um, project he did basically diving uh, deep into the meaning behind all the different tattoos that our athletes have and so that was kind of cool and he's done a lot of he and Veronica have done a lot of Instagram story stuff uh, this summer and and the quality of the pictures has really increased this summer because Kyle brought a very nice camera out 
So um, most of the Instagram shots you've seen this summer have been from his camera. And, and I think, um, I think that was really big and we'll try to keep that going and make sure that we keep the, keep the content, uh, really quality, uh, picture wise. You know, I have tossed around the idea several times of like, I should get an intern for the summer or something like that. Right. And I always shy away from it because I'm like, I know that I would need to craft like a good job description. And I'm so nervous that like, it'll be more work than it's worth because I'm like, I have to teach them everything. And um, so have you found that it's like really paid off? Oh, well, certainly. Yeah. And we, we've done this now for a few summers in a row and, and it's kind of been based on, well, first of all, let me say, I think it's improved over the years because I, to your point, I've realized that, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I've got to put in work too, you know, yeah. because I've got to give them a good experience and, and I've got to give them the reins a little bit, you know, I've got to, I've got to let them do some things, feel some ownership. Um, so I, I think I've improved, um, uh, on that end. Um, and then, you know, you got to, got to kind of assess what you need for the summer. And, and this summer I felt like we weren't quite as in need of a coaching intern as we have been in the past, like two summers ago with the Olympic trials in Eugene, we, we knew we were going to be in Eugene for two or three weeks, and uh, leading into the event, we knew we were going to have to be driving athletes all around and taking care of them and making sure they had everything they need. So I felt like we really needed a, an assistant coach that summer. And so we uh, we got an intern from Tennessee named Patrick Gildeo, who's great. Um, I knew him, actually. I'd run with him on the Hanson's team back in the day, and he was really awesome. And that made sense for that summer. But this summer, without a huge event um, and not quite as many races, uh, when Kyle contacted me and let me know that he was really interested because of all the content that we produce. And that's what he was, you know, looking to go into in the future that made total sense for me. And so, uh, I think that was a good decision. And then Veronica, she, she was sort of our intern, but she also split time with team run Flagstaff and run Flagstaff, the running store and did, did a bunch of different things because, um, she was, she had been our intern last summer. So this summer it was more, she helped out when she could because she was doing a thesis paper on, um, uh, why people come to Flagstaff and why they stay. So just, uh, it was a cool topic really. So she got her hands in all kinds of things. But anyway, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I, th I think it was worth it. And I think that, um, we'll, we'll continue to do it. Although I can't say that we'll necessarily do it every summer. It's kind of like a, decision each each winter or spring do we need one you know do i have the t will i have the time that summer to help that intern out and take them through the paces and uh you know it, it worked out great this summer well you mentioned when you ran for hansen's brooks so let's just go there for just a second because people might not know people see you as the coach of northern arizona elite but you have a 218 marathon pr a 403 mile pr so when did you decide in your career that you were going to move in a different direction and not pursue that professional level competing because I was talking to my husband about it before the interview and it's like man 218 it's so fast but you're like in no man's land you know yeah I mean it's you know it's it's not that hard of a decision when you're not that good you know? yeah because you don't make any money but you're so I mean, good the, the, like that's the, so fast well yeah, I mean, you know, it, I mean, I think we need those type of guys for sure. We need the, the type of guys that are going to run 217, 218, 219, 220. So it pushes the next tier, you know. Um, and so I was proud of what I did for sure. And I was uh, proud that I was able to run for the Hanses team. And uh, those were a great two years, two of the best years of my life. I learned a ton. 
Kevin Hansen is a role model for me to this day. I made great friends up there. Uh, but, you know, two years in, I had almost no money. Yeah. And you have to make practical decisions. I'm a very pragmatic person, even though I'm, you know, a dreamer and an entrepreneur and those things, but I'm um, pragmatic when it comes to business. And so, you know, I, le- I tell this story all the time, but this is the truth. When I left Hanson's, uh, and came back to St. Louis. I took a job with the St. Louis Marathon um, in, that was in the summer of 2005 as the special events coordinator. And the day I moved, I had $7 in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was, yeah, that was the summer of 05. And by 2008, you know, I had a business that was doing almost $2 million in sales, you know. So I think I made the right decision, you know. But, but, uh, you know, I guess, I guess the point is, when did I make that decision? I, I didn't necessarily make it by leaving Hanson's. I still wanted to run. And actually, uh, while I worked at the marathon that first year, you know, it was just an eight to five office job. And so I was able to run in the morning, run again when I got home. I got second at the Twin Cities Marathon in, in October, uh, October of 2005. It was the U.S. Championships. And so I, I actually won a good chunk of change there. Uh, more than I had made in the last two years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I, and then I continued to run. I ran at the Olympic trials in fall of 07. I didn't do well. By that time I was working so much that the marathon training was just really difficult. So I said goodbye to the marathon after that, but I did run some fun races the next couple of years. And that's when I ran 403 in the mile when I was 29, um, because I cut back my mileage and started working on some different stuff. It actually gave me a great chance to sort of be my own guinea pig, and try a bunch of different kind of workouts, and um, it's helped me, I think, uh, in my coaching life because I was just good enough to understand what these men and women are feeling and how they're reacting to workouts. Uh, but I was—it's not—I wasn't so good that you know. It actually helps, I guess, to to have been where I was because I understand the struggle too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you get a coach that was just unbelievable in any sport. This is why Magic Johnson couldn't coach the Lakers because he just couldn't grasp how some of these guys couldn't do the things that he could do because they came so naturally to him, you know. But but I think I uh, I like to believe that I understand the grind and so um, you know just just good enough to kind of get how they're feeling, but obviously not as good as these guys. Um, yeah, but it, you know it all it all has shaped uh, my philosophy in one way or another. So LeBron's not going to become a coach when he retires either then. I feel like it would be very difficult. Well, you see how frustrating it gets with J.R. Smith, you know? Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's just, I think it's hard for those guys because they're, they're just, uh, they were at such a high level and things did come naturally and they're, um, uh, I don't know. It's just a different world for them. I, I can't, I can't even speak to it cause I don't know how it must be to be them, but, uh, <laughs> to be that yeah, good. To, to be that good. But a lot of the best coaches are, are like in baseball too. A lot of the best managers of all time were marginal players, you know, uh, but, but great coaches, great managers. No, that's a really good point. I actually, I've interviewed one swim coach on this show. I think her episode's 101. Uh, beware everybody. If you go back and listen though, because the audio is awful. Um, but she was saying the exact same thing. She was a good swimmer. She swam collegiately, she, but she wasn't the best on her team. 
Um, and she has hopes of, you know, coaching an Olympic team one day. And she was saying the same kind of thing. She gets that grind and that struggle and the things that didn't come supernaturally to her, like someone like a LeBron or, um, I don't know. I was trying to think of a runner to compare it to. Well, I mean, everybody, first of all, everybody works. LeBron works hard too. And so sure, Kobe sure. And so do Michael and all those guys. And, and so do all the runners. But I mean, yeah, they, I mean, like, uh, I don't want to call anybody out right now because I don't want to <laughs> suggest that I didn't, I don't think they could be a coach. coach. Say, again, a lot of the best coaches and a lot of the top coaches, they just weren't the very best guys. They were good. Like, I mean, Kevin Hanson, Pete Ray, all, all these guys that are out there doing it, There's, they're more common, I think, than the Albertos who were very, very top, uh, you know, and then also had great success as a coach. Um, I think that's more rare. But there's a couple, like, I know a guy, you know, Ed Eyestone was phenomenal, and he's a great coach. So it's not like it's impossible. I just think um, sometimes us uh, marginal guys have a little bit of uh, uh, an advantage. So at what point were you like, okay, I'm I'm cool with the 218 being my marathon PR. Like I'm cool with that, hanging it up and that being that. You know, this is a weird story, but in, in 2006, so I had gotten second at Twin Cities in 05. And up to that point, pretty much every marathon I had run had been better than the last, um, either by time or just by performance. Like Twin Cities was very hot. So I only ran 220, but it was really better than my 218 because uh-huh. it was so na- nasty out. So I had gotten better and better and better. And then I was going to run the Grandma's Marathon in 2006. Well, I did run it in June of 06, but it was very hot, even worse than uh, Twin Cities. And I probably shouldn't have finished. I was really struggling, but I did finish and you know didn't run well, 227 or something. I mean, just totally collapsed, you know? And... Um, the weirdest thing happened after that. I never, I was never as good at the long stuff after that marathon. It was almost like my brain didn't want to allow me to go to that deep place again. Um, and, and I used to always be good at long stuff, long runs I could crush, you know, um, so that was very strange. And so I struggled that next year and leading into the trials in 07, I, I DNF'd at Houston. I ran terrible at Boston. I was almost last at the trials. And I just, even from the beginning in those races, I didn't feel good. And I, it was just a totally different feeling than I had ever had before. So it almost, the decision was almost more of a physical one. It was almost made for me because I just wasn't running well at the long stuff anymore. Uh, but the weird thing was, then I dropped down a distance and I was running really well and ran PRs in the mile and ran really well at a couple of other distances and road races. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. But but pretty much after 07, after the trials, it wasn't even a question. It was, I'm done with the marathon for sure. So anyway, for what it's worth, that was the story. Yeah. Well, interesting story because usually you see the opposite. You're not getting faster at the shorter distances. How, how old were you when you, when that all went down? So uh, I was 27 in 2007, okay. and uh, yeah, so that was my last competitive marathon. And then in 2008, in the winter, I ran the mile a couple times, I mean, really just for fun, but I got down to 406, and then the next year I got down to 403, which again, in this day and age, isn't that great, but um, it was super fun because I was only a 419 miler in college, yeah. so, and I never considered myself very fast. So, but I had built up so much strength over the years. I mean, running, you know, averaging over a hundred miles a week, probably for 
five, six, seven years straight. So I was just very strong and um, I don't know, I started doing a lot of drills and strides and form work and uh, plyometric stuff, agility stuff and it just really woke up my fast twitch muscle fibers, I guess, the ones that I did have. And, um, you know, uh, I still couldn't run all that fast in a 400, probably only 56, but I could run back to back 60 point, 60 point, 60 point. And, uh, yeah, it was super fun, but I learned a lot from that. And I use a lot of that stuff, um, now with the team. Yeah. Racing a mile is fun. I mean, I, I typically run like run longer distances myself, but we have a mile race here once a year in June and I, we always do it. And it's so fun to see what you can do and that it's just it's so short when you're a marathoner that yep. uh you don't realize how fast you can really go and and so yeah that's good that I like how you're talking about the um strength you built from like the 100 mile weeks upon 100 mile weeks for so many years going into that and I think people that run long distance are like scared to race a mile you know because it's so fast well, I, I think also when you talk about, um, you know, the age group athlete, so many of them started later in life, um, so they didn't get a chance to run high school or college, because uh, the high school and college runners, they know what the mile feels like. They, they, everybody runs the mile, you know. Uh, but if you started in your 20s or 30s, you probably, if if you're like most, you started by getting ready for a half marathon yep. uh, or a marathon, and you got into that, and that's just all you know, and those are the big events, and so that's what you train for, and that's what you do. But to your point, you're totally missing out on a super fun thing um, because the mile or even 5Ks, they're really, really fun. They're di- It's a different kind of pain, um, but it's a really fun pain, <laughs> as weird as that sounds, because I, I don't know, I think you think the marathon is going to be this um, huge achievement, and it totally is. But you're wrong to think that a fast 5K isn't as big of a, an achievement just because it's shorter. Uh, you still have to manage your pain and manage your effort over the course of the race. The distance is shorter, but the pain is almost more severe because in the marathon, it's just a, an accumulation of fatigue over time and your legs just feel heavy at the end and you just kind of have to get through that. But the 5K or the mile, you have this like intense, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, lactic acid, you know, arms are getting stiff, everything's getting stiff. Like it's a different, uh, it's a different sort of pain and it's a, it's a cool pain. Um, and I would so suggest uh, for folks who've only done half marathons and marathons to drop down and try to run a mile or a 5k or both in a segment because um, I think you'll get a lot of excitement out of it and you might actually help yourself in the long term for your other races because you know running some things that are faster will work on your form and efficiency and hopefully you can then bring that to the longer stuff. Hey, everybody, I want to jump in real quick and thank another sponsor for this podcast episode, and that is Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms, yep, drinking mushrooms, delicious and easy to do with their wide variety of superfood and super good for you beverages. Four Sigmatic has made your afternoon coffee a little bit healthier, you guys. And let me tell you about some of my favorites. I love the Lion's Mane Elixir. I love the Chaga Elixir. And you know I love the mocha mushroom mix. We first heard about this product on the podcast from Allie Kiefer way back in November. I started trying it. I reached out to them. I love the product and I know you're going to love it too. 
So head over to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the promo code another to get 15% off your next order. That's foursigmatic.com slash another. Use the promo code another to get 15% off your order. All right. And if you are ever looking for bonus content for me, you can always find that over on my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. I record episodes with returning guests, my husband, Glenn, and we also have bonus questions at the end of some of my most recent podcast episodes like this one with Ben. We've got 10 to 15 extra minutes with him over on Patreon. You guys can hear that today when you support the show over there. That's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. Thanks so much everybody who's already over there doing that and I really hope you enjoy the bonus content you're provided over there. All right guys let's continue my conversation with Ben. Well, okay. So talk to us about having your athletes who focus on the longer distances doing those shorter races, like Steph just won Peachtree. So talk about how as a marathoner, her running that 10 K, um, and Alephine, who else, who else ran? Did anybody else on your team run that race? Uh, well, they went one, two, they were the only ones to run Peachtree, but of course, Kellen dropped out in January and ran a mile PR on the track. So no, we're not opposed to, uh, dropping down and running faster stuff because I think it's part of the process. I think you can get stale if you only run the marathon back to back to back Mm -hmm. to back marathon segment, marathon segment, marathon segment, and never try anything shorter. Um, And I know the marathon's exciting and it's fun. But I have found that we run really well in a training block that comes after a marathon in some of the shorter stuff because sort of a shortened version of my whole career, you, you, you're so strong from the marathon that that next segment, so Steph had done London, and then that next segment – we didn't really need to do anything crazy because she was already so strong. So we didn't really need to run a ton of mileage. Uh, and that way she feels super fresh and sharp and poppy. And and the workouts, they don't really change that much. Uh, it's not like all of a sudden we're ripping stuff on the track. It's just we, the speed is just a little quicker. The volume is a little shorter. But it's still pretty similar to what we do in the marathon. And that's enough. And we feel good and we just – let it rip, you know, um, it's hard to explain, but I think, uh, I think what we found is that really helps. And then, and then of course my hope is obviously that like stuff, for example, will then benefit from that little short segment that she did with those shorter races. And now that we'll get back into marathon training for the fall, she'll feel that much more confident and she'll be that much smoother and more efficient as we run, uh, the big miles again. Okay. So, Here's a question about running a half marathon when you're training for a marathon. I think a lot of people build that into their training cycle. So, um, and just so, so everybody knows, Ben has not, doesn't, hasn't only coached these like top elite athletes. He's coached beginner runners and runners all over the spectrum. So for the person trying to break four hours or even three hours in the marathon or something like that, where would you set up? Uh, a half marathon in a training block? Yeah, well, I, I don't typically, I don't love to put a half marathon in there because it's a very different event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people, they want 
to have their cake and eat it too, you know? Mm -hmm. So they want to set a half marathon PR and then a marathon PR. And you can do that, but it's not easy to do because the marathon requires a different set of skills and a different type of training than the half, I think, you know? So if you're going to set a PR, it's going to have to be off a marathon training. That's kind of what I think. But um, if I think there's two ways to do it. You can do the half a little like farther out, you know, and, and take a small like recharge week afterwards. So maybe eight weeks out or something and then recharge a little bit for about a week, 10 days, take it pretty easy and then have a really solid four week stretch before you back off a little bit before the marathon. So that's one way to do it because then you can you can be a little more half marathon specific in the three or four weeks, five weeks leading up to that half and then a little bit more marathon specific after that. So that's one way. Uh, the other way is just to do it about four weeks out. Um, the only danger there is making sure you recover from it uh, because a half is still uh, a significant amount of time to run hard on the pavement uh, before your marathon. And so if the marathon is your real goal, just realize you are taking a little bit of risk because if you come out of it a little banged up, um, you know, those are important weeks of training for the marathon. Uh, so you just have to be careful. I would definitely take the next day off and the next couple of days easy and then get back into it uh, if you do it four weeks out. Yeah. And it can be a mental barrier too, because I did this this last fall. I ran uh, the Monumental Marathon and I think it was only three weeks before I had like, I was going to do a 20 mile run or something. And I was like, well, I was going to do some marathon pace miles. So, and there was a half marathon here. So I was like, why don't I just do my marathon pace miles in the half marathon and have some company. Right. But you get, yep. you get to the race and it's like, okay, you have the hype. And so then you want to run faster. Yep. Um, yep. but then you push and you still just run at your marathon pace miles and it feels really hard. And you're like, how the heck am I yeah. going to then pull this off for an entire marathon? You know, um, because like you're saying, yeah, you can't expect to be in like PR half marathon shape on marathon training legs. And I think that people have a hard time um, mentally wrapping their head around that. Like I should be able to run 13 miles this fast because I'm going to try to run 26 miles this fast. Yeah, totally. I mean, well, and that's the leap of faith you take with the marathon because um, it, that is a phenomenon that's totally true for everyone of all abilities. You, um, you're training and you just think, how the heck am I going to do this? But when you back off a little bit, if you're training properly, I'm assuming you're training properly, then um, when you back off and you get to race day, you just, you just can do it. And it's really super weird. But, um, <laughs> you know, the the half marathon, I think you were right to try to do it at, at marathon pace, you know, and then maybe you pick it up a little bit at the end. Uh, but if you try to go all out from the beginning, if you've trained hard that week, which you really should be uh, training hard at that time, then yeah, you're just not going to be super fresh and it's going to be hard to run uh, really fast. But um, yeah, you know, that's, I mean, so I guess I would say you did it right, which is try to run it at marathon effort. And then just just temper your expectations. That's all. So would you suggest if someone wants to PR in the half and the full, would you suggest that they would do like a spring full and then maybe try to PR in the half in the fall or something like that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a better way to do it because then you're giving both events their just due because they are different. You know, I think um, the marathon is so specific. You really, it's so much about high level aerobic capacity or high end aerobic capacity, long efforts, lots of time on your feet, uh, preparing for the distance as much as the pace. The pace usually isn't the issue. It's the distance and running that, that pace for a really long time. Whereas in the half, if you really want to crank one, you probably do need to be a little faster and have a little bit more uh, 10K. You, you need to stand on the half, the line, uh, the start line of a half marathon, feeling like if it were a 10K, you also could run close to your PR, if not your, your PR in the 10K. Mm. Um, whereas on the marathon start line, you really just need to be in great marathon shape. It's so specific. Uh, but the half, you do have to have a little bit of marathon strength, a little bit of 10K speed, and then you're just right right there in the sweet spot. Yeah. Okay, so how do you, at Northern Arizona Elite, how do you uh, recruit talent to join your team, and what do you look for in an athlete? Well, we just signed four new women this summer, so it's fresh in my mind, I guess. Uh, you know, what we were looking for on the women's side this summer was, you know, obviously a, they have to be high level. You know, we have to think that they have a path to compete for Olympic spots at some point. Now don't misunderstand me because I don't think that the Olympics are the only thing or the end all be all. It's just, it's just a tangible way to explain the level we're looking for, you know, because if you're in that, if you're at that level contending for a U.S. Olympic team spot, that in turn means you're the type of athlete that could potentially win national titles on the road, could make world teams in cross country in the half marathon. Um, you could um, uh, run very fast, obviously, on the track. So all the things that are going to check the boxes performance-wise. But that's only part of the puzzle. The, the other piece is you just you have to be bought into that team concept that group training concept. You have to be someone who is going to be legitimate, legitimately excited for your teammates when they do well. You're going to have to have you're going to have to be someone who who can check your ego at the door and uh, be okay with getting your butt kicked in practice now and again, or even in a race now and again by your teammates. Um, you have to be someone who believes in what we do as a group from a uh, branding point of view uh, so you have to be willing to share your journey you have to be able to be act you have to be willing to be active on social media um, all those things so there's a bunch of boxes that you have to check and and then you just have to we have to be the right fit for you you know I think physiologically the group training doesn't make sense if you're not the type of athlete that responds to the type of work that we do uh, and I don't mean to say that everybody does you know that's that's what we're trying to figure out but if you're someone who is more aerobically inclined so you like the tempo runs and the long runs and things like that and that's what you seem to respond to then you know you're going to be a good fit physically and then you know are you going to like the town flagstaff you know do you mind are you someone who is okay with being away from home uh and you know is willing to i, I hate to say sacrifice because I, I think it's super cool and I don't see it as a sacrifice at all but um you have to be willing to uh I guess go all in yeah I talked to someone who said the same thing about sacrifice and uh viewing it more as like an investment into like what you want to do with your life not necessarily a sacrifice 
Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know what that means. Is it a sacrifice when somebody takes an engineering job? If that's what they're good at, that's what they should do. Right. If you're you're really good at running, then why is it a sacrifice to pursue what you're really good at? Um, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, I think you should look at it as a positive. Actually, that's one of the things I got from Kevin Hansen is he used to tell us, look, you may get family members or friends that think this is nuts and they may tell you that you're uh, putting off your real life. He goes, please, that that doesn't make any sense. He's like, look, when people retire, what do they say they want to do? They want to they want to travel the world and they want to pursue their passions full time. Well, that's what you're doing now at 23, 24, 25, 26. Um, so you're the one, you're the smart one, not them. <laughs> he goes, well, why would you wait till you're 65 to travel the world and pursue your passions? Why don't you do it right now? Uh, and so I think he's totally right. And what's the worst case scenario anyway? I mean, for me, look at me. I, I ran for Hanson's for two years. Sure, I was broke when I left, but who cares? I was only 25. Uh, you, got, <laughs> you got plenty of time to do whatever you need to do to, uh, uh, you know, make money, start a family, all those things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's not a not a sacrifice at all. I think it's probably going to be uh, as, when it's all said and done, some of the best years of your life. Now, you got to be very good, obviously, but. Um, if you are, I think you should pursue it. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of kicking people in the butt in other aspects of their life too. Like thinking right now, oh my gosh, am I doing what I love or am I just going through the motions? We can't all pursue professional running, but we can definitely pursue what we love to do. You know, a hundred percent. And, and, and look, if you can't, if you're not the entrepreneurial type, if you don't have that sort of um, if you're not hardwired to be able to take risks and things like that, that's okay too. But just just find some enjoyment in whatever your job is. You know, I just think that's that's what I see as a common trait among happy people is that even if they do have a job that's, you know, not the most glamorous, they find a way to go into work and enjoy themselves and enjoy who they're around, enjoy their coworkers. And basically be a positive influence on their on, on those around them. And I think that anybody is capable of that. Uh, that's a mindset thing. And so, you know, seeing the positives in what you're doing and, and the, you know, really how fortunate you are uh, is is essential to, to being a happy person. Yeah, I talked with I talk with my husband about this exact thing all the time, because anytime I see someone who's talented at something like my good friend, who's my neighbor, for instance, is she's just this amazing interior designer and she's really good at fashion. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she could start her own business doing this and that and this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my husband's like, Lindsay, not everybody is (laughs) wired that way. Like not everybody wants to go do something just because your brain works that way. And you can and you can be I mean, and he works an eight to five in my opinion, very boring job, but you can show up to work and be happy and, and enjoy that atmosphere, even if it's not that exciting entrepreneurial pursuit, like, like I get kicks out of, you know? That's right. That's right. I know I have to say that because again, I think just like you, I see these opportunities everywhere for different, different people, but, uh, you know, again, they're, they're just wired differently and that's okay. Um, that being said, Allie, if you were listening, I still want you to start that <laughs> business. I really do. Right. You'd be so good. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about um, like the team atmosphere because you were saying, you know, you have to want to move to Flagstaff and be in that that uh, little community or whatever. So do you guys do like team dinners and what does that look like? You know, I try to foster that to an extent myself, but I don't try to I'm not the social director. You know, I don't hang out with the athletes socially. 
by design. I, I want the team to take some leadership there, the athletes on the team. And I think we've got a nice mix right now of leaders. You know, there's leaders by example, there's uh, vocal leaders, and there's social leaders, you know, and, and there's overlap there as well. But, you know, they do get together, they do go out to eat, uh, they do have barbecues, and sometimes Jen and I I go to those as well. And actually we had one at our house, uh, last week. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll do that occasionally. So I, I foster it a little bit, but, uh, you know, I expect them to do that. And, and, you know, human beings tend to be that way. They, tr they kind of find their place right inside a group and, uh, and where they fit and what they can bring to the table. And so, you know, a person like Steph is very social and likes to get people together. Um, and honestly, they all, they all do a good job, I think. And so, um, that's just kind of how the, the group works. And, and then, you know, as different personalities come and go, you know, there's ebbs and flows obviously, but right now the vibe seems very, very good. I love when I talk to both Steph and Kellen, I always end the conversation with uh, what's your best, most recent book. And they both mentioned a book you gave them. So were you going through a thing where you were just like handing out books to all your team members? Oh, well, I just uh, every year in, we have monthly team meetings, but every year in January, the meeting is very, um, uh, I don't know if serious is the word. It's, it's very, uh, it's comprehensive. It's, it's more like a all day long clinic. Um, so we, we brought in a speaker this year that was a motivational speaker and he did a great job. He, he had a whole host of activities and interactive, um, exercises that we did with one another. And I wanted to wrap up the day by giving everyone a present uh, for my, you know, myself personal present. And so I gave everybody a note along with a book that I thought they would enjoy. And in most cases it wasn't a running book. Um, because one of the themes that I'm always preaching is that we need to have more in our lives than just running. Uh, it's not healthy to wrap your self -im image up and your self worth in, in your running. And so we got to try to figure out, you know, what your other passions are too. And, and so just giving them a book that I thought they would just enjoy, um, and had nothing to do with running in most cases, some of them kind of did have something to do with running, but, um, yeah, it was just something I thought would be cool, and I guess they liked it, so that's that's great. Yeah, I like the idea of gifting people books, especially when I, it's well thought out for that specific person. Well, and I just like the idea of giving people a gift. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think it, it, sh it shows that you care about them, and you know, you write a little note with it, and it just goes a long way. And I think you know, in this day and age, we get caught up, and we're just so busy, and you know, everybody's kind of selfish to an extent, and they just they forget how much those little sorts of things, how, how far something like that goes in terms of building a relationship. And so um, it's not something I had done before, so I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's, it's something I kind of really thought about this year, sort of, hey, you know, what can I do for these people? I really care about them, and I really want them to know I care, which is not easy for me because, again, being so pragmatic, I'm not really a rah-rah guy, <laughs> and, and I'm not – I don't give out a or a lot of way to go at practice and things. I mean, I just sort of expect them to do what they need to do, you know, um, but it doesn't mean I don't care. So maybe that was a way to show them that. Yeah. I think I remember one of the girls saying um, what something along those lines that that's how you are and that um, what you say to someone else about their performance might indicate more how excited you are or something like that. Maybe I'm confusing what they said, but. Oh, no, I think I Steph said something like yeah. that. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, the thing is, and this, I really believe this uh, for coaching is that 
look, if you're constantly kissing butt, you know, <laughs> and telling every someone they're so great, what what do you what are you supposed to say when they really do do something great? You know, uh, you kind of have to keep the bar pretty high in terms of expectation. And one way to do that is to, uh, you know, in a workout, let's say, expect them to do well in the workout, you know? Yeah. And, and when they do, you know, it's kind of like any other job. Well, yeah, you, I mean, that's what you were supposed to do, you know? And that way, when somebody does something really great, we can be super pumped. Um, so I don't know. It's just, I, I guess it's kind of something I learned from my college coach because he was extremely, uh, pragmatic, uh, and, and very, very quiet actually, which I'm not quiet, but, um, he, he just, he didn't shower you with praise unless you really deserved it. And, uh, I actually think that that's a good thing. So I try to bring that same idea, but to Steph's point, I think that she was making, it, it doesn't mean I'm not excited. I'm super excited. And talking about the team is, pretty much all I ever do. And, and I'm constantly praising them, you know, to Jen and to, and to each other and things like that. But yeah, I just don't, um, I don't go crazy over, over regular type workouts. I do, I do know though, or I do realize that they do want to know, know when they're doing well. I remember, uh, this season earlier, Steph had a really good workout and it was really good. And afterward, after a couple hours later, I texted her because I realized I had been kind of my normal <laughs> self. And, and I, I said, hey, I know I don't uh, go crazy for workouts, but I just want you to know that was a really high level session. And so she was, she, I, she texted right back. She and she said something like, oh, thank you. I wasn't sure because you didn't say anything. But oh. that, that really means a lot. You know, so it was it was good. So I try to I try to balance it all, I guess. Well, that that probably made that her confidence from that workout so much higher because of those accolades. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it, it, you know, again, because I don't do it all the time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, may, you know, maybe that was a good thing. Okay. So then what did you say to Kellen when she ran her two twenty four? <laughs> well, obviously I was very pumped about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very pumped about that. Well, you know, I, I, I told her actually just this the other day, I didn't have a lot of time to talk to her after the race because we only had about 10 minutes and then I had to go catch a flight to get to a, a former athlete's uh, wedding, uh, reception actually in Flagstaff. But, uh, no, she knows I was super excited. The other day I shared something with her because someone had interviewed her for an article and then they had interviewed me just via email to answer some questions. And I really liked the questions and I took a lot of time with my answers, but I knew that, you know, when the article came out, I'm not sure how much of it will be, mm -hmm. how much of, how many quotes will be in there from me. So I just forwarded Kellen what I had said and you know, because we're both kind of, we're not really super touchy-feely, you know, uh -huh. so um, I, I just I just forwarded her the answers, and one of the questions was about that 224, and my she said, you know, what do you think it means? And I said, well, or what did you think of the performance? And I said, well, first of all, I think it's, you know, the best race of her career. I think it's the best performance our team has ever produced, and I think it makes her one of a handful of favorites to make the Olympic team in 2020. And uh, I uh, I know she appreciated me uh, me sending that to her, but she I think she said something back like, "Hey, I, you know, it's 
you know, it takes a village and we're all in this together and, you know, thank you or whatever. So, uh, you know, that's about as touchy feely as the two of us get, but, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a nice exchange. Yeah. I think actually, I think she, I was searching through Instagram on something and she had posted something about it, taking a village. And, you know, that's the tricky thing with media, right? I mean, even this podcast or any kind of story, it's like, well, you can edit things however you want to edit things as the writer or the podcast host. So when you say something, you know, you don't know what's actually going to be put out to the world. So that can be tricky. Yeah, I like the podcast format because typically most people just kind of they just kind of go with it. They don't really cut anything out right. or, or, or whatever. So that this is a great format. I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy the long form conversational type of uh uh, deal that this is and I listen to a lot of podcasts but uh yeah when you when you have an article then it can really be I'm not gonna say manipulated but certainly um if, if the writer has a, a, an agenda you know they can and they ask you enough questions they can really uh spin it however they'd like so uh yeah you got to be <laughs> somewhat careful I guess but you know the running media is pretty darn tame yeah honestly it's it's usually very, very positive, and we don't have to deal with one-tenth of the garbage that uh, you know basketball or, or baseball or football players have to deal with. So we've, we've got it pretty good overall. The articles can make it tricky, though, as a podcast host, because if you're like researching someone and then you're using like an article for reference and that article was taking a quote out of context or something and yeah. then can make the podcast question seem well, that didn't really make sense. You know, it's kind of tricky because I think that's happened to me a couple of times with um, Outside Magazine and another magazine where the person I was interviewing was like, well, I said this, but I also said this. It just didn't make it into the yeah, article. Yeah, totally. Well, that's why the podcast is great. You got yeah. time to hash it out. Yeah. So are you still doing, I mean, I see that you you had the Ben Rosario show and you had seasons and you haven't put anything out since 2017. Are you still doing that? Yeah, so so we we go every fall. Okay. So basically, basically, what it morphed into was um, I just do the fall, and I just do high school cross country coaches. So I have a podcast co-host, Dean Wallet, who God bless him, he does most of the work. Really, he he sets up the interviews and all that, and then I just kind of jump in there and and help out with the actual uh, recording uh, and ask some questions and have a conversation with the coach. Um, but it, it it's sort of it sort of makes sense because I have this high school cross country book that I wrote, uh, tradition class pride. And so, um, and I'm passionate about high school cross country. I think it's so cool. And I think a lot of our best coaches at any level are at the high school level. And so selfishly it's, it's enjoyable for me to talk to those coaches and see how they build a culture and build their program. And, for whatever reason, it seems I have a nice little following, but doing it only in the fall gives me a break as well because it is kind of hard, as you know. Geez, Louise, you know, um, you know, it's not easy to constantly doing these, and so I just do. I guess we do about ten of them or so each fall, and yeah, they're a ton of fun, and and they give us a chance or me a chance to um, sort of build our network as well because obviously when you 
interview, you know, coach so-and-so from Indiana, uh, that coach has their whole team and, and all these people that follow them and they're little, you know, they're, they're, they usually, if they're a, a super good program, have quite a following in their state. And so it, it helps us in that sense as well. So it's, it's a win all around. Yeah. I noticed one of your interviews was with the Carmel coach here in Indianapolis. Well, they're like a Northern suburb, but they're right here. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Very good program at Carmel. And that's what we try to do because and that's the idea behind the book is we're trying to we're trying to share how you build a program. You know, it's it's a lot less nuts and bolts. I mean, some of the coaches like to talk nuts and bolts, but a lot of my questions are usually geared toward, you know, how many kids do you have out for the team? How did you get them out? You know, what kind of what kind of things do you do to build tradition, to build build the culture, to build the buy in? You know, what do you do with the parents? Uh those kind of things, because I think ultimately, if you can get all that right, the results are going to follow because there's plenty of information about training that's out there. It's really how do you get the kids to buy in? Well, you're smart, too. You're talking about building your network. I should interview some more high school level type athletes because, man, that's a generation too. those high school students who are going, you know, coming up that that's going to they're going to be listening to podcasts. I think they are. And I think, you know, the more we can overlap. So if it's a Venn diagram, you know, we, we want to make sure that we, we overlap those bubbles, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the high school kids sometimes stay in the high school bubble and that's all they follow college kids, college. Um, you know, a lot of the age group athletes just sort of, um, uh, follow marathon news, kind of your typical runner's world type articles, you yeah. know, and we've got to be, we've got to be overlapping all of those people so that the age group athletes are following the pros, uh, the college kids and the high school kids are following the pros, but then also the pros are, and, and the people who typically like that world are staying in touch with what's going on with the young kids and, and, and the people coming up through the ranks and, and, and also what's going on, you know, what the industry, what's going on in the industry with the, the, the marathons and all the different cities and, you know, what the industry looks like at the run specialty level, all of those things. And so the more, the ultra world, you know, the more we can overlap and create fans uh, across the board that follow everything, the better. All right, Ben. So I don't want to wrap up, but I'm going to, <laughs> um, Maybe we'll have to have you back on because I feel like we could talk about this stuff for a really long time. Let's do it. Let's uh, do end of the podcast questions. Uh, What is one thing personally or professionally that you'd like to do in your life that you haven't done yet? Um, Well, I guess professionally, obviously, uh, I would love to put someone on the Olympic team. I have coached someone at the Olympics before. Uh, Ecuadorian woman Maria Elena Calle ran at the Rio Olympics, but I would like to specifically put a Hoka NAZ elite athlete on the Olympic team in 2020. I guess that's the thing that's most on my brain right now. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of like the athletes in that sense. I can't think past that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. I think so. What if you had one message to send to the world? What would it be? One message to send to the world. God, you sent me some prep stuff. I don't remember that one. Maybe oh, I didn't look close it was enough. in there. Okay, okay. Message to send to the world. I would say, and I tweeted this the other day, just step back for a second and don't always take yourself so seriously. Mm. You know? I mean, obviously, we're very passionate about what we do. I'm not saying 
don't take yourself seriously or don't take what you do seriously. I'm saying don't take it so seriously. You know, um, have some perspective. Don't uh, wrap your self-worth up in whatever it is that you do. Um, remember that your family and your friends are really the only people that matter. Um, and, you know, just be grateful for the opportunities that you have. Um, we shouldn't, especially <laughs> speaking to the running world, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't be so devastated after a bad performance or a bad workout. Um, we should be able to realize that we have it pretty darn good. Yeah, um, and that's professional careers as well, or even this. You know, like totally. I think about like an interview. If an interview doesn't go well or something like that, it's like don't take it so seriously. Like it's not that big of a deal. Yep, totally. Step back. Um, if you could have coffee or cocktail or tea or whatever you drink with someone fun, motivating, inspiring that you haven't yet, who would it be? Uh, let's see. I'll go the fun route. Um, <laughs> this is weird, but I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big stick and ball sports fan, a big sports fan. And I just think for whatever reason – a night out with Charles Barkley would be the most <laughs> unbelievable night ever. I feel like he would be hilarious. People would be coming up to you all night long, wanting to say hi to Charles. And just having a few drinks with that guy would just be off the charts. And what would your drinks be? Well, I would probably just drink, you know, Budweiser's. <laughs> I don't know what Charles would be drinking, but, you know, I'm a St. <laughs> Louis guy, so I, I, I keep it real. Oh, that's true. Uh, well, I would say Budweiser tastes like college, but it's more like Coors Light or like Bud Light <laughs> tastes like college. Yeah, Budweiser, that's high level for college. Yeah, yeah, that's heavy stuff. Um, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Uh, well, I'm reading a book right now called The Mirage Factory by a guy named Gary Christ. So he writes books about um, big cities in the United States and sort of their history. He'll pick a time in, in, in that city's history that's very, very interesting. I've read, uh, let's see, he wrote Empire of Sin about New Orleans, City of Scoundrels about Chicago. And I'm, uh, I don't know, that's my thing. I like big cities. And so The Mirage Factory is about L.A., and sort of the period between 1900 and 1920 when L.A. really took off and expanded. And it kind of follows the stories of three of the big influencers that, that made all that happen. And, yeah, I just find it super interesting. Awesome. All right, Ben. Well, thanks for sharing your story. And, and I know everybody has been wanting to hear more about your team, Northern Arizona Elite. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening today. And thanks, Ben, for coming on the show and sharing a little bit more about your story and Northern Arizona Elite. Guys, don't forget to check out PrepDish, PrepDish.com slash another. Use the code another for two weeks free over there. And check out our friends at Four Sigmatic as well. Forsigmatic.com slash another. Use the code another for 15% off your order. All right, check out the show notes over at lindsayhine.com to learn more about everything we talked about in this episode, as well as our sponsors and my new little Airbnb endeavor. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.